It's great to look for a partnership where at least one of the partners, ideally two or three, if something goes wrong, you don't want to lose all your money because there wasn't the financial wherewithal on the team. If you're not conscious about your investment strategy, you won't end up where you want to be, not financially or as a human. On this show, we interview highly successful investors and share how they overcame limitations to become unstoppable forces of success. If you're ready to learn what it is to be a conscious investor so you can end up where you want, keep listening. Conscious investor. You know what? My amazing guest and I just decided we have to dive in because we're friends and we have a tendency to talk. And so we thought it's better for us to just dive into this conversation and bring you along the way because my friend George is amazing. And you're going to want to go check out his podcast, The Foundry. We'll talk about that in a moment. And throughout our conversation, we're going to really emphasize George is an active investor, but he's also very deeply entrenched in the passive role as well. And so we're going to talk more about the passive experience and give you some strategies and skills to navigate that to support you, conscious investor. But before that, let's just get to know George a little bit, because the funny thing is that I was on his podcast, The Foundry, and you're going to need to go and I highly encourage you to listen to this. You'll see a completely different way podcasting is done because, man, George, you were pulling things out. You were asking me questions. And I was like, how did you even know that? And you're like <laughs> holding up pages like, oh, I do my homework. And I'm a little embarrassed because I don't do the deep homework like you do. And your questions, they were so personal in the sense of, you're actually asking me such relevant questions, but detailed. You definitely were doing your homework. And it was honestly, it was like, wow, thank you so much for taking the time to do that. And so Conscious Investor, make sure you go and you check out The Foundry. We'll put a link in the show notes because it's a very fantastic podcast episode. And all of your podcasts, just how you format your podcast is a lot of fun. And you definitely get a perspective on people that you're not going to get somewhere else. So remember, you have permission to pod stock. Pod stocking is really good. If you're trying to vet somebody, type their name in, put podcast after it and go listen and binge the podcasts that they've been on. And as you do that, you're going to hear different parts of their story, especially if they've been in it for a while. But I will assure you of this. When you get to George's podcast, The Foundry, you're going to hear a completely different side of people because he's bringing out the other side. And I just want you to know how much I value and appreciate that. Well, thank you so much. I did do a lot of research on you and all my guests because I do try to bring something different out. I try to listen to at least four or five episodes of that person and make sure I'm not just asking the same questions. And I'm glad we decided to just jump right into it because don't you just hate it when all the best material is left on the cutting room floor. I mean, the pregame is awesome. And it's like, oh, yeah. And then when you ask the same question later, it's not spontaneous. It's not. And honestly, I'm like, let's just capture all of the realness. You and I are both very grounded, real, authentic people. And I know this conscious investor, you know, I love meeting people in person. And it was so much fun meeting you in person at Dealmaker Live last June at that huge barbecue that I just like put together. That was so much fun. And I really appreciate the authenticity in person and online and on LinkedIn. It's all so sincere. And I love that. Thank you. Yeah. So let's dive in. And I want to start here. Can you tell the conscious investor what the foundry is about? And 
how did you come up with your podcast and conscious investor? Yes, I know we're not here to talk about the podcast, but it's important for you to have an understanding of why would you even want to go and check out this podcast and add it to your repertoire? So for me, I wanted to make sure that I was going to do yet another real estate podcast where I just asked people, and so how did you get into real estate? I wanted to make sure we were doing something different. And for me, what really drove me to real estate was a love of entrepreneurship. My sister and I, we started this construction company. And even though that ended up becoming her thing, my sister, my brother-in-law, they're running that now. It was enough of a taste of entrepreneurship to realize, hey, wait a second. I love technical roles. I absolutely love to just get there into the weeds, go into the data, figure out what the data is really telling me, tell a story. I love to be technical, but I realized that I loved this fire of entrepreneurship even more. So that's our metaphor. We've got a ladle furnace and just like a casting plant, to me, the metaphor is that's the fire of entrepreneurship. So you either feel that or you don't. If you feel that, then this podcast would be exciting for you. That's a very good summary. I would completely agree with just how you said why it would be completely for them. I love that. So let's dive into this concept of passive real estate investing. Everyone has their different origin story as to how and why, but tell us how you even stumbled, because I think you know this, but conscious investor, if you're a new conscious investor, you might not know that I sat as a sales agent, real estate sales agent at a table beside commercial real estate brokers and didn't know anything about this. That was 20 years ago. I was raised in real estate, didn't know anything about syndication. So we can be around it and not even know it. We all have our Genesis moment. So tell us about your Genesis moment of, aha, this is a path and I want to go down it. Yeah. So many ways I could answer that because I was raised in a financial family. My father, my sister, both in finance, talked a lot about equities. Maybe you talked about something different at the dinner table in your house but always interested in finance, but finance was equities to me. So then fast forward many years, you really encouraged me to become a landlord. And I want to tell you, it still didn't hit. I kept my family home and became an accidental landlord because it just didn't really make sense to sell something in the depths of the Great Depression. A lot of the returns I had on that project were just simply me holding that until it came back to roughly parity. So the cash flow was great but the appreciation might have been even greater in that deal. Still, it didn't really hit me. I told you the story about my sister and how she said this was after my father was sadly gone. He wanted to be the builder. He wanted to be the one to develop his land, but it didn't make any sense. The Great Recession came along and those plans didn't make any sense to execute at that time. So then we decided we were going to do it. And it was really her idea. And that brought me into the idea of what does it mean to really chart your own course and seeing that this is a completely different way of living. That I think was probably the number one Genesis moment, but still I was just at looking at 10,000 podcasts, reading a dozen books, trying to figure out what really makes sense. And it was a local meetup. I met one of my local business partners, Paul Prokop at that and that night, the speaker who, who ran the meetup as well, she ran it every month. She'd come in with different angle, et cetera. I mean, I just happened to come in that month and talking about multifamily investing and what it did for her. And it was boom. 
like I don't, I can just throw out the first 10,000 podcasts that I listened to. They weren't useless, right? Because they got me to that Genesis moment. So it was still huge. But being in there in that room and realizing, wow, there is another way. I don't have to do hundreds of transactions. Okay. There's so much right there. I want to go back a bit and just go back to, it's a different way of living. So I feel that same way. My husband, Steve and I, I was telling my brother the other day on the phone, I'm like, oh, I love my life. And I love that Steve and I can drop the kids off at school and go have a cup of coffee and have some time to just either hang out together or talk about business elements that we need to discuss or such, right? Like it's a completely, that's just like one little drip. One of my favorite parts of a different way of living, of having that control over how my time is being spent. So I'm curious, what is a difference with you? And on the real estate side, like, what were you looking for? Were you looking for a difference or I should just listen, right? (laughs) No, I love it. These are all great questions. I don't know which to answer first, but to talk about that different perspective on life, I've been hugging my wife all morning long. And that is just really very special to me. The fact that I can sleep in if I have to, for my mental health, that I don't have to jump on a bus which really was the only way to reclaim a little time when I was working downtown, working an hour away from where I work. But that's just the very beginning. The character that life takes on when you know that you are charting your own course. So what can I do? I could focus on anything. I could focus on raising capital. I can focus on educating investors. And those are great things. I can focus on finding deals. I can focus on underwriting. And all these are wonderful things, and I have focused on them at different times. But when you have that sort of freedom to realize I can develop this business in any direction I choose, once tasting that, I could never want to work for someone else again. Mic drop right there. So as we're recording this, Conscious Investor, obviously they go in and they get produced before they reach your beautiful ears. But Today, I'm actually going to audition for a TEDx talk. So I passed the application process and it's a little consuming. I told George beforehand, I'm nervous, but this is part of my talk right here. Literally, I'm like, wow, thank you for just affirming my talk further. And that is that the greatest parts of us are oftentimes shackled as we're trying to just simply chase whatever version of financial freedom that we're looking for. And so I love that. And so for some financial freedom sounds like I just got to get the bills paid so that I feel free, right? We could define that in so many different ways. And the gift that you give yourself of being able to actually play to your strengths, to have bandwidth to figure out what your strengths are. You know what? I really like crunching the numbers or I don't like crunching the numbers. I just want to talk to people all day long. (laughs) It's like being able to find your zone of genius and play to that is so powerful. But was that an easy process? Was it fun, easy, challenging, exciting? Like, Tell us about some of the actual feelings and struggles, joys, and triumphs of that process. Yeah, well, all of the above, and I think it should be all of the above. It's not supposed to be easy. And there are going to be times that you doubt yourself because there are great advantages to having a W-2 job. Having money coming in every two weeks and knowing how much it's going to be is an extraordinary advantage. And giving that up is something that you should not take lightly. Yes, you're going to feel all of those emotions. And in fact, I was on the verge of putting together, and I should have done it, 
a YouTube about my first year because I'm now, I want to say actually 14 months into this journey. And it was a great time to just sum up and realize, yes, there are going to be times you're going to doubt yourself and it's going to be hard. It's going to be harder than working for somebody, but it is going to be a process of unshackling. I remember just yesterday, I came across a post from a lady who said, hey, I think that businesses should be run in an entrepreneurial way. And I said, I actually took the contrary position. You know, I do that sometimes, Julie. I, I like to <laughs> keep it real. In, one of your most endearing qualities. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you find it endearing. Not everybody does. But I said, you know what? No, I don't think so. I mean, I went through a process in a business where I was working, where I tried to do something very entrepreneurial. It was received very poorly, but the work actually eventually ended up winning the company some recognition on down the road. But I had to suffer tremendously in the meantime. So if you work for somebody else, it's my observation that you have one boss. There's one person deciding whether your work has quality and whether you get to go in the direction you want. But when you go out to the marketplace, you have a thousand bosses, a million bosses, and everybody has a different opinion. And I just feel that if you have that creativity in you, you have a much better chance. Just leave that corporate environment as soon as possible. Don't try to be the entrepreneur. Let somebody else play that role. Go out if you feel that this is for you as soon as you can, not sooner, but as soon as you can leave that corporate role because it's very liberating to know that if you go out in the marketplace and you fall flat on your face, you will at least get feedback. It's going to be something better than one person didn't like my idea. Okay. Well, I wasn't going to get onto the soapbox, but you did it. You know, <laughs> you're kind of hijacking my podcast. No, I'm kidding. The soapbox is, is that, and I was listening to a podcast recently and it happened to actually be more in the personal development coaching performance space versus in the entrepreneurial space. The person was explaining that conscious investor, you know, I always listen to Michael Neal's caffeine for the soul. It was probably Michael Neal who was describing this, how it's like, you can try to go get as an entrepreneur you can try to go get a home loan and they're going to say, no, you can't have this home loan. You don't meet XYZ criteria. You could be have a W-2 and go apply for that home loan. They're like, oh, look, you look so cute and neat. Like, look at your cute pay stubs. We love you. But there's a huge difference between the two worlds. And that is that the person working in a corporate space, and we are seeing this I have seen this with, with people in my life over the last three months, people getting laid off, people getting let go, and the paycheck is gonzo, absolutely gone. If you're an entrepreneur and you're getting that feedback, you fall flat on your face and you're getting that feedback. Okay, great feedback. Let me pivot because I can go make more money. I can figure this out. I have the power to generate and create when we're working under somebody and within a corporation, it becomes far more challenging. Now I have to go apply. I've got to find a job. How long is this going to take? How many other people are looking for the job? So I love that. I mean, it's a powerful position when we understand and receive our strengths, gifts, talents, and we believe in ourselves and we go for it. Love it. I'm off my soapbox now. <laughs> Stepping down, people. Stepping down. <laughs> I'm going to add, and this will be a great segue. I will add that I've also seen people who are invested passively in cash flowing assets have experienced this same downturn where, oh, wow, I'm not making as much with my W-2 job because my bonuses aren't as substantial as they were in the past. 
but now I have this income coming in from my passive investments. So let's talk a little bit about your passive investing experience and what is that like? Well, it's great. And of course, it can go both ways. Your dividend paying stocks and even your real estate don't always pay the same dividend at all times. That distribution, it can go down, it can be eliminated. That's why it's very important. I found, and obviously not just me, this is something you've heard before, is to diversify and you want to build that runway over as long a period as possible. Best time to start was 20 years ago. Okay. Second best time is today. So it's really good to get out there, try to find all of the different alternative investments and which ones are appropriate for you. I mean, if you have a half a million dollars, investing in early stage companies is not probably appropriate. Even if you have 1 million, that's not appropriate. But real estate is great because it's one of those things that you can invest almost any amount of money into, whether you're putting up the risk capital or gator lending, as Pace Morby likes to call it, or all the way up to, say, syndication that might take twenty-five dollars or $50,000 to actually going out and buying things with all cash. There's quite a continuum. And it's not the easiest thing to get into, but that's what makes it great. Because whatever is easy to get into is likely to have lower returns and have fewer options. I like options. I like options a lot. So let me ask you this question then. I'm just curious what you would say, top three things that a limited partner should do before getting into their first or next investment. Well, I think the top three, and this is going to be a pretty common list. You want to vet the sponsor. You want to vet the deal. You want to know the market. So those are three things that you're definitely going to have to do. I mean, educate yourself. People call it passive investing, and it is. But it's only passive after you wire the money. You should be very active up to that point and even there and beyond because I hear passive investors asking great things on our quarterly webinars, things that now... I want to say almost always we've already considered, but you know what? It's great to know that we've got people out there that are willing to sort of keep things on their toes. And I know at least two syndicators that got their start because they were a passive investor and the syndicator dropped the ball and they ended up having to step up. So it's definitely, I think, a very great way to go, but not something that should be taken lightly. Okay. That sounds terrifying. I might want to hear that story, but maybe we need to get connected up and have that passive investor turned active come on and tell because that's that's a scary story. So let's talk about some of the things that we've seen since we mentioned something a little bit nerve wracking because mm-hmm. conscious investor, like I need something that I can believe in and I don't want to have to take over a deal. And so and you and I are seeing some deals aren't working out and they're struggling a bit. So what do you do? How do we vet a deal right now at this time in the economic cycle? What would you say are some of the key indicators to look for? Well, look, I like deals that have fixed debt. That makes things yes. a lot easier. It's a lot easier to calculate. But let me give you what I would say maybe the next three. So I think if you ask people what are the top three, you probably get a lot of the same answers. The next three, I think, is where you're going to find a lot of differences. Has the team done a deal before? Mm -hmm. Partners that have not done deals before. I know this is big for you, Julie. This is great. And you know, if we would all take your advice, then maybe there'd be fewer deals that come unglued. So we mentioned having a group that's worked together before 
also making sure you have fixed debt. I mean, again, that's why I do still like these mom and pop deals. It's great. A lot of meat on the bone and you got fixed debt. But here's something that I don't hear a lot of people talking about, and that's the financial strength of the sponsors. So most of these operating agreements, company agreements, if you actually read them, and I do <laughs> suggest that you do read them, even as a passive investor, they're going to have something, usually there's a clause that says that the partners can loan at a rate of 10% to the business. That's useless if none of your partners are financially strong. So it's great to look for a partnership where at least one of the partners, ideally two or three, has that wherewithal because if something goes wrong, you don't want to lose all your money. I would rather pay 10% interest and make a slightly lower return than to be in a situation where the deal just goes belly up because there wasn't the financial wherewithal on the team. Look for deals that are well capitalized too. You mm -hmm. want to make sure that that's what I call the inside protection. The inside protection is making sure that you have a proper amount of working capital. Is there an appropriate padding to the construction budget if things go wrong? What happens when you open up the walls like Chip and Joanna Gaines and it's like, oh, the price went up, right? You want to be prepared for that. That's the inside protection. But the outside protection is making sure the partners can put in money if they have to. Mm, conscious investor. I hope you write those down. Those are powerful. And you're right. Those are off Main Street. Those are three concepts that are not on Main Street that are really critical. And looking at the capital stack is so, so, like, it's one of the things that everybody should be focusing on. What is a cap stack? Where is it going? How is it all happening? It's so, so critical. I love this. Anything else you want to add? Well, I would say those are probably my top six. But again, to me, any investment that you're in, you should be just as serious, at least at the get-go, at least as serious as the active investors. So make sure you're doing your due diligence as if you were an active investor, because as Peter Lynch would say, one up on Wall Street, most people will do more research when they buy an appliance than when they buy a stock. And you know, they're putting a lot more money in that stock. $5,000, $10,000. We're not talking about a refrigerator. And yet a lot of people will buy that on a tip like, oh yeah, hey, Larry over here says that Apple stock is really good these days. You know, sure. not good. <laughs> so don't take the tips, just do your due diligence. Take the tips. Exactly. Re-underwrite the deal. Whatever you can do, whatever you're willing to do, you're going to be a happier investor because every day that you weed out a bad investment or a po potentially a possibly bad investment, mm -hmm. you have done done your duty. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I love this. So when we're, as we're talking about passive investing and I love passive investing so much, let's go back. Cause I don't want to make assumptions. How did you find the groups to invest with that you have invested with? How do you select them? And that's interesting because you and I probably have even more access than mm -hmm the average conscious investor right now, just by nature of our network and everything. Well, absolutely. And that's exactly how I did it. I'd always been, I'm hands-on, I'm DIY. So I realized that this multifamily world, it's great. It can be passive. It can be almost completely passive if you are an LP, but I wanted to get in there, want to get my hands dirty, open up the hood, do this myself. So yes, the work that I did to become an active investor served me very, very well because those are the same people. And then you hear the stories and you only hear the stories if you 
get really close with people. Even on LinkedIn, people are going to be reticent to send you a direct message and say, hey, operator X is dirty. Stay away from operator X. But if you actually go to conferences, if you go to in-person meetups, people are going to be a whole lot more forthcoming when there's no paper trail. And they're going to tell you, And it's not for me to tell the stories of other passive investors that had to do crazy things like end up running the deal, but you go out and you'll find those people and they have quite a story to tell. I'm almost speechless because this is so true. And admittedly, it's a double-edged sword of how beautiful the industry is, is that it is an uplifting industry and a When you're other industries, it is knife in the back, people bashing each other. And the investing network, you know, multifamily specifically is so small, seems big, but it's so interconnected and people are very mindful about what they are saying. And I appreciate that. I have received a couple of phone calls after posting on LinkedIn where someone thought I was going to place an investment with XYZ. And they're like, I have received a phone call. Hey, if you're thinking about partnering with that person, but it's a phone call and there's no way to get a screenshot or do anything, there's no paper trail, it's a phone call, right? (laughs) Or at an event where you're just, you're around people and they're comfortable and they're willing to say, this has been my authentic, real experience. It's nice that they're not going out there bashing anybody because everyone does have their own experiences, but it's also nice to get some of that feedback. (laughs) Right. And it's a fine line. I don't believe in bashing people. But as you said, sharing authentic experiences is a different matter altogether. And take it with a grain of salt, too, because people who complain all the time about this or that. So look a little deeper. I mean, if you're dealing with anybody that has a good track record, that means they've done a lot of deals. Somebody who's done a lot of deals probably has at least one deal that didn't do as well. So gather as much information as possible. Here, this is one of the things I really like to tell people, Julie, is people seem to lump the world into either you're one of these analyzers or you're an action taker, but be both. I mean, you can compile information all day long as you take action, parallel tracks, do both. Mm, That's really, really powerful. So we got to vet the person, we vet the deal. I love going to conferences. I love breaking bread and meeting people. You know that conscious investor, you've heard me say that so many times. And if we've been on an investor call, we talk about this. It's so important. What's one event that you've, or how do you feel about events and the importance of actually meeting people and getting to know them in real life? Well, as you know, I believe very strongly in this because I run two in-person meetups a month. So one where I'm generally either speaking or helping to lead the conversation and the other one where I have invited speakers. I also have my online meetup as well. So I think meeting people, particularly in person, is of incredible value. Yeah, you get to develop those relationships. One of the things I love is I love seeing how people interact with other people. So as much as I love to talk with people and be immersed in conversation, it's kind of fun to be talking to people and then also noticing that other interactions taking place around you. It's it's really interesting to watch just the dynamics and how people carry themselves and present themselves and everything. Everybody's different in person. It's true. Yeah. It's amazing. Shorter, taller, you never know about that. And then you see, oh my gosh, there have been times where I've met people in person and I am just surprised. And and it's turned into a deeper relationship because maybe I didn't have as deep of a relationship on the social platforms. And then I meet them in person. I'm like, oh my gosh, like 
there's so much more to you that is not even demonstrated over here on these different platforms. And it's just becomes this joy of, wow, okay, you're substantial. And I really value that. Yeah. People are amazing. They are. I said that at my event, Conscious Investor Growth Day. I was just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> They're so extraordinary. The people are just extraordinary. So I want to go back to something we talked about at the very beginning. And you mentioned working with your sister. Oh my gosh. Business and family, right? Some people would say, whoa, no, I'd never do business with my family. What was that experience like? You said now she's and her, your brother-in-law have taken over the construction area. Like what were some of those dynamics? Is that something that you would recommend? Because some people might want to, listening might want to start investing with family. So let's just talk about working and we can also align this with investing with family. That's great because I can bring you right up to the present moment. I was talking to my wife just before this, and I said, wife, I've only got 90 seconds. I got to go up for my sound check because I really want to work with you. And we kind of had the debate, is this going to be a good idea or not? So working with my sister, yes, absolutely. Working with family can be difficult. And the main thing is you just have to keep in perspective what truly matters. So yes, money is important. It allows us to do things. Having money versus not having money, the amount of worries that that takes off of your mind is significant. Nobody who has money would want to be without it. But remembering just the value of, hey, there was a time that we were both in a crib and we were just running around playing with balls and doing silly things as teenagers, right? This is what matters. Our life, our relationship, our memories. And so if you can keep that in perspective, yes, it can be Obviously, things can be difficult, but I think that's the trick because when I hear about people that don't do it well and they have a partnership and can't agree with what people have contributed, and then you have to get lawyers involved, that's just not worth it. So, whatever you do, I want to say don't do that. But a lot of things for us, for example, I decided to keep my six figure job, she dropped hers. And so it made sense in a lot of ways that, okay, so you're taking this, you're running with it. And then I'm going to do something that's a little more passive that matched me keeping my job, which was still is an important thing, or it was up until let's say 14 months ago and (laughs) glad to be on the other side. And that made a lot of sense. So that drove some of my decisions to go into multifamily, but it's still a great place to be. And I'm happy with the decision because Who knows if I really wanted to, at some point, I could found my own construction company. I could go more into the heavy rehab and running that myself. I've got partners that are doing that now and there's still time. Mm, I love that. That's really great advice. Like keeping that perspective, money is really fun and great and opens opportunity. But at the end of the day, I'll even say at the end of the day, we go from the cradle to the grave, right? So it's keeping that perspective. It's over before we know it. It is. Oh my gosh, far too soon. So we have to live our lives really well. You and I are both avid readers and we are always consuming copious amounts of content. I'd love to know what you are currently reading or your favorite book that you've read over the last five books. All right. So a few. So I'm doing Chris Prefontaine and this is real estate on your terms because he's coming up on my show. So as you know, I just love doing all kinds of I mean, because the people I meet are wonderful, 
right? I get to meet people like Julie Holly by having a podcast. So why wouldn't I want to do a lot of research? I'm also reading The 48 Laws of Power. I've got a few books. You came on my podcast first. So you have a few coaching books that you recommended to me. So Robert Greene, 48 Laws of Power. And really for me, the only way I can keep track of it, because I don't usually see the book cover, is just literally to keep my phone. And this Audible app is wonderful. I'm also doing Blinkist, which I know there are multiple apps like this now. And what the idea is that it'll give you the story in a blink. And these blinks are supposed to be 10 or 15 minutes. You can read them or have them read to you. I just listen to the audio versions. And that's also been wonderful to me because things like housework, exercise, this used to be lost time. Now, if you have a really strong mind and they say that the educated mind entertains itself, and I believe that's true, but it is really hard to have quality thoughts for an hour-long workout when all you have is yourself. Having that iPod or iPad. Does anybody even have an iPod anymore? Having we, your iPhone. We do. With you. Around our house, we decided that we're going to keep it just because <laughs> it is an antique and we're determined it's an investment. Somebody is going to pay money for that later. <laughs> well, I love it. And my kids, they both have their iPod or iPad. I forget. Yes, there was the iPod before the iPad. We yes. got two iPads. I had like a drawer full of iPods, if that's even what it was called way back then. And they just became completely obsolete. It's just amazing Mm. how quickly technology becomes obsolete. Yeah, this is so true. I want to encourage you to take a video. If you go over onto social media, this is just superficial fun stuff. So conscious investor, you can go check this out. I have a social media post maybe in February or so. And I recorded my screen and our Audible account. And I just scrolled through. And I was amazed at the difference of the books from the beginning to now that are in that Audible account is very surprising to me. And then the quantity of like how many have been added over more over the last year than when we first started. So these are diaries. For those of us who are avid readers, these become like a little living diary of what's guiding and directing our thoughts. And I agree with you. I listen to podcasts as I work out and conscious investor, you might be thinking, no, I mean, when I'm lifting weights, I got to have like my music and be really surprised how you can train yourself to listen to all sorts of conversations that will just absolutely (laughs) do the exact same thing. The music will do. It'll it'll change your whole life. And the other thing you can do is you can listen to something completely different. Now, people ask me, well, wow, what are you listening to in multifamily? Well, I listen to multifamily. I listen to real estate all the time. But when I'm working out, I might be learning macroeconomics. That's an important adjunct. I mean, how can you really understand what's going on in any phase of commercial real estate if you're not somewhat plugged into macroeconomics? And I can do that because I feel that, look, if I wasn't reclaiming this time, it would be zero. And sometimes I think it's even better to do that. Do something that's an adjunct to your field because then you'll be able to say, well, hey, look, I work out 60 minutes a day. So that's about seven hours a week. And look what I accomplished this year because I listened to this, something that I wouldn't have been reading, wouldn't have had time to read because it's a little bit outside my field. And look what Mm -hmm. it's done for me. I'm high-fiving you on that one all the way. I listen to quite a variety of podcasts. I mean, my collection is very eclectic, but they all build on each other in some capacity. And it's really important. And yes, on studying economics, it's really important. 
So, oh my gosh, George, it's just been absolute joy and pleasure to have you on the Conscious Investor Podcast. If people are listening, which they are, I don't know why I just said that because Conscious Investor, you are listening. That was the silliest thing ever for our amazing Conscious Investor. And they are inspired by you and your story and they want to connect up. I think I know your favorite place to connect, but I would love for you to share. How would you like them to connect with you? Sure. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn if you want to do things like come to my events. Those are all featured, my podcast, my YouTube channel. You can find that there. And if you are interested in investing with me or just sending me a message, you can do that at www.horizonmultifamily.com. So I knew it. I was going to say, they just need to go on to LinkedIn and find you. and Because <laughs> yeah. that's how we met. Julie. So it's a great place to meet me. Exactly. If you're listening and you're not on, again, why am I saying if you are listening, (laughs) silly me right now, you are listening. So you know what? LinkedIn is a powerhouse. If we're not connected on LinkedIn, please make sure that we are connected on LinkedIn. It is one of my favorite social media platforms. So, and I would love to be connected with you there. Until next time, Conscious Investor, live big, love bigger, and do great things. What's the big deal about investing in apartments? Why is it better than investing in a slew of single family homes? I've compiled a lot of information on why investing in a multifamily, also known as apartments, will help you reach your investment goals. Head over to threekeysinvestments.com and download the Why Invest in Multifamily Guide today. 